0: god 's day, the day he set aside is <clears throat> for mankind to put away their work you know and their their way of life <clears throat> I was watching the uh, news I guess he called news the uh, speech by uh, Sarah Palin, who is the uh, Republican candidate for um, vice president, and then hearing the news people, you know, as they do, they're out there trying to find every little bit of dirt about her family um, that will discredit her. And the one thing they bring out, because she has a daughter that is pregnant and not wed, and I kind of wonder sometimes why they pick on that. Most of these people probably have never been in that kind of a position because they set themselves up in such a high standard. I know what she had to be going through and what her husband goes through because uh, we were in that position one time. So I know what it is. And it's it's a personal thing inside a family. And yet, our news media, with their idea of destroying whoever they can, especially if they don't like them, and then my wife pointed out, she said, well, isn't it interesting that they pick on this one woman when, I believe it's 63% of the babies born in this country are born out of wedlock. But they didn't bring that out, did they? Because that's not important to them. Well, how many times have you gone to a restaurant and then you shake your head you see children running around and uh, dumping over things. Uh, the last time we, my wife and I went into St. George in, and ate at uh, Golden Corral, we were trying to enjoy a conversation and, eat, and eating food. And before I knew it, the table behind me, the boy or girl, whatever it was, was sitting beside me with the backward chair in his mind. And they were distributing their food every place but in their mouth. <laughs> And it's sad to me, because I had eight children, and I went to restaurants. And I never, in any of the times when my children were from baby to 20 years old, did I have my children run around the restaurant, pitching their food someplace that didn't belong, or just cutting up, or talking, or hollering, or screaming, and never did they go... And this bothers me sometimes, I guess, because this is a society that we live in. In a lot of those places, the children get a plate full of food and they eat a bite, pitch it out. They go get another plate full of it and take a bite and pitch it out. Now, my children, they learned to eat what was put in front of them. Because, I guess, we were a family. And um, basically, that's what I'm going to talk about today, is families. It's so sad to me that um, so many families are diverse. I know even in my family, uh, I have a daughter in Michigan, one in uh, Las Vegas, one in Tulsa, one in Tennessee, and then I have several down in Florida. And so our family is dispersed out. It used to not be that way. Families used to stay together, didn't they? They had certain values that they put out, that they kept, and they all tried to respond to. And so I wanted to know what a family was, and I thought, well, what are families? Today they're disoriented. Um, I've got one of my family that um, it's not the way they were raised. Their ex spouse and them fight. And that's not. A way a family should react, is it? When I had a, a difficulty in our family, my wife would come to me and privately we would discuss those problems. But how many families do that today? No, they don't discuss it privately. You're more apt to hear them holler and scream at each other and put the kids down, belittle the kids. Openly. And that doesn't make a good family. It just doesn't. I look at the church. This is what really is appalling to me. God called Mr. Armstrong and put him out here to build an organization or a family, because that's what it was. It was a family. And we all, like Matthew 25, Went to sleep. And God got pretty upset with that, because he expected us to go and seek out his values. But we went to sleep, and so God busted it up. And so today, what do we have? We have a family split apart. And we have a little group over here with a leader, sort of a father of that group that leads that little group. And he does it like this guy over here. So, he openly puts down a family member. And, and what do we have? We're using the children as a weapon, just like we do in a divorce. And I've seen this in divorces many times, where the husband will use the children to beat up on the, the wife. Or the wife will take the children and beat up on the husband using the children. That shouldn't be. That's not the way that God had planned it. That a family should be unified, isn't it? So who made the family? And that's once we know who makes family, maybe we need to go and try to find out what the leader, the father. Of the families, and throughout the scriptures, and I think I wrote down or had noticed there was a 174 uh, listings in the Old Testament only on families. You know, it talks about the family of this country, or the family here, or Joseph's family, or uh, this, uh, you know, all these different families. So God looks at people as families, too. But we read in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and we find out that it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is the basic building block of a family, isn't it? A man and a wife, and it's We're pointing out in the marriage. And God gave certain criteria for that. So He started out with a man and a wife, and built a family. But what happened? Well, we go back to even farther than that, and we see God created angelic hosts, and they're called sons of God, too. If you go to Job, you can read there, and I think it's Job 1, it talks about the sons of God came to, to the Father, to present himself, and Satan was there too. Well, before Satan was called Satan, he was Halal. And what did he do? He became a rogue child, didn't he? A child that dishonored his father and led many, people, many angels in the wrong direction. Well, that family... Listened to the wrong influence, didn't it? If we find Adam and Eve, who was a beautiful marriage, they had everything. They had their father there to teach them, to lead them, to guide them. But it wasn't long that they decided, we didn't want God to lead us, so we're going to do it on our own. Did we find that happening today? Is that what happens in families in this world today? The children have come to a point to say, I don't have to listen to you. I'm going to do it my way. It's a sad situation. But that's not what God intended. He intended a unified family. We find that after God had put them out of the Garden of Eden, they had a child, nine months, We don't know between Cain and Abel whether there were any other children because the story flow was to cover a certain aspect of life. And so we know that there was a time period from the time Cain was born until Abel was born. We know it had at least been nine months because it takes that long. And that family grew and the father, Adam, taught them To respect God, because they knew they had to do sacrifices. But here's a child, a disoriented family already, because one child didn't want to do it the father's way. The other did. And it wound up, jealousy came in, fighting, and the one boy killed the other. So often we see that today, don't we? It's a sad state of affairs. We go to the great holiday of this nation, Christmas, and you have a lot of murders occur over jealousy because dad likes me better than he does the other one. That happened even in the stories that we've been hearing. I think that God inspired. The story that teach us to go back to our fathers because he wants us to learn how to be a family. And so we've covered, what, 21 uh, sermons now in that story? That God is telling us we have to have a family. Notice Ephesians 5. It wasn't God's intent. Even in Ephesians, in the New Testament, we're told that God's still trying to get a family. Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So he's talking about building a family. Why is it that families today, uh, you get tired of your wife, you get tired of your husband, you try to do something, you dump them. Uh, I was listening to a sermon yesterday, and I thought it was interesting. We talk of Israel sacrificing their children, family members, to the fires of Moloch. And in the sermon, it points out, what did we do when we first said it's okay to have abortions? That first year or two, we burned, rather than we burned five million babies in the incinerators. Did we give our children to Moloch? Do we have a a decent family relationship? No, it's not what God intended. Christ, Paul rather goes on in verse thirty-two. For this is a great mystery. A mystery of having a man marry a wife and becoming one flesh, building a family. It's a great mystery. But he said, I speak concerning Christ in the church. He's saying, I'm talking about a greater family, a bigger picture than just man and wife here on this planet and then having children. I'm talking about a big picture, he's talking. Much expanded beside beyond this husband and wife as physical flesh, but he's talking about a marriage between himself, Christ, Emmanuel, and the church. This is important to God. Again in Romans eight verse fourteen. Most of us know this, talking about a family relationship, it says in Romans eight fourteen and fifteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Do you have God's spirit? Are you being led to do it God's way? That makes you a child of God, doesn't it? He calls you sons, a part of his family. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again, like in Egypt. They were put in bondage. And we're in bondage today. And being forced more so toward that bondage. But with that spirit, we're not. Put in bondage again, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. We can look out there and say, I am now a begotten child of God. He is my Father. I'm a part of His family. So we're going to look at family values. What it takes. What values do you need to achieve to be a family here today with this little group and in God's family too the first one I have down is to share the same goals do we share the same goals we have a goal here we formed this little city or township was to live by every word that proceeds from God we can't Put aside this one because I don't like it, or it might be too difficult for me, like so many children do today. Mom says, do this, and the children says, I don't want to do that. You know, they have ads on TV. The little girl in basket with her mom going through the grocery store and mom picks up something. And she says, I don't like that. I don't eat that. That's what they the children do today. That's not sharing the same goals. The mother's goal is to give them the right diet, healthy, and the children should be sharing those goals. As a family shares the goals of the father and the mother, children should share those goals and seek out that same principle, the same way. Children should follow the direction of their parents. So a parent a father should teach his children to do the same skills he has. And spiritually speaking, God wants us to do the same skills that Christ had, didn't he? We't we supposed to live like Christ when you pray. How do you pray? Thank you for what you give to me? Or do we look at ourselves and think how much I'm nothing without God's help. I want to do it God's way. I want to do it your way, Father. I want to do it your way, Christ. Do we share those goals that our parents set in front of us? That's one of the first things that we need to do. If we can't share those goals, and in here, not only the goals of living here on this little community, the goal is to live by every word of God. If we don't, then we have to ask ourselves, why am I here? Why do I want to be here if I'm not going to live by the goals that are set out that the the family, and this becomes a little family, I want to live and share these goals with these people. I want to be a part of what they're doing. Do we share the goal that we're going to prove that Jerusalem is just a few miles away from here? The original Jerusalem? Is that our goal? Or is it Eh, I'll wait and see, you know. Is our goal to support what? The one that God set here as the leader and points us in this direction. Do we share that same goal that, that he has? Or do we have set our own goals? It's something to think about. Back in the scriptures, we're told, we been going through these sermons, going back to our fathers, Abraham was called the father of the faithful. Is that our goal? To be a child of, that can be called a child of the faithful? Are we faithful as much as Abraham? And that's the goal set in front of us. Genesis 18 verse 19. God speaking about Abraham. Goal that he had set. Do we follow that? Verse 19 For I know him, God's saying, I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him. So he is going to be in charge, he's going to demonstrate, he's going to set the right goals in front of them, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice, to do judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. There's a goal. Do we command as parents, our children, to follow every word of God? I know that the one God put here as a leader of this little group commands us to be faithful to abide by God's law. Are we doing that? That's part of that first thing, sharing those goals. First Timothy 3, verse 4 and 5. 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. Speaking of one that's to be set apart as an elder or a leader in the group, says, says this is how you select him. One who rules well his own house. It means he has to have his children in subjection that they love him, that they follow him, that they set him up as, this is the way I want to go, I want to pattern my life after him. Rules well his own household, having his children in subjection. Not like these children, if you go in town, and uh, the last time we were there in in Kmart, I mean well, uh, Walmart, I was in the plumbing section three or four rows down, some kids screaming at their parents, you will give me these things, you will do this, and just started screaming. Is that having your children in subjection? That's not children in subjection. Are we in subjection to God by following the things that we're told to do even here? So have your children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So we have an obligation as children to follow the directions that God gives to us. Because, as we heard back there in Romans 8, uh, it tells us that we are children of God. Do we act like Godly children? Or do we act like worldly children who holler and scream and carry on? A daughter of mine who teaches uh, uh, daycare. (laughs) It's, It's difficult. The kids just come unglued four years old, tell them you can't touch me, are those children in subjection? They're not subjection or they would not act that way. How about you or me? Do we do that? Maybe not to blatantly come out and say, you ain't going to tell me to do that. But do we sort of not do it and kind of act like, okay, I know I love you to your face, but don't turn your back on me. So it applies to us as children in the church that we really follow the ones that God puts up here as a leader. You know, Joseph was a child. He was loved by his father more than the other boys. They didn't like it. We went through that whole story. And no matter how much Joseph went through, he didn't come back and say, I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me do it. That wasn't his attitude, was it? Joseph took it in his stride, didn't he? He said, I guess I can learn But wherever I am. And his attitude was to follow his father's direction. He might not have understood it. And sometimes as children, we don't understand our parents, you that are young people, or us that are adults who have a leader who is sitting in a position as a parent. Maybe we don't understand everything that's told us. But if we would just sit and say... I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to do the best I possibly can with what God gives me. And sometimes he puts it to you (laughs) to find out whether you are going to respond. Because he doesn't want another Halel who rebelled against him, who stood up and said, I'm not doing it your way, and became Satan the devil. God doesn't want that anymore. So sometimes because we have a little bit of a hostility attitude <laughs> and we want to buck authority, God gives us a little bit more. So he said, I want to see when you're going to say, Okay, I to do that, I'll do the best I can because that's what you want from me. So the first value that we should set is sharing the goals. Sharing the goals with each other. Sometimes you and I have goals that we set. And our husband or wife or our family, extended family, because we are a family, we should share the goals of each other and try to make them work out. Try to make them work the way God would want them to work. A second value that I have is love for each other. You know, sometimes it's very difficult to love someone you don't know. If you don't know a brother or a sister in Christ, how do you love them? Pretty hard. You make a, a thing in your mind, you might conceive in your mind what, what they think or what they do and base it basically on your background and your, your thoughts or the way you live your life. But maybe... You don't really know them enough. John 13, we go over this every time in Passover. John 13, 35, it says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How will the world know that we are disciples of God, disciples of Emmanuel? How do they know that? How can they know it? He goes on, only if you have love one to another. We really have to know each other to love each other. That's a very important factor of our life. We have to know each other, but we're not a cohesive enough family maybe, so a cohesive family. The a family, uh, cohesion would be uh, defined as a feeling of being loved or belonging to the group. Do you feel like you belong to this little group? Or do you have reservations toward that? If you have reservations toward that, why? Do you love God? Do you love His way? Do you love each other? Are you willing to give your life for each other? Are you willing to take the blow for your brother? You can't have that cohesive effect if you don't have love. You have to feel that you not only love them, and to know them, you can love them, and to belong to the group. And being nourished by that group. So, are you being nourished here? If you're being nourished here, do you feel loved here? Scriptures also tell us, I think in Proverbs, you want to have friends, and you can turn that over. Do you want to have those that love you? You have to show yourself of one that is lovable or one that is friendly. See? If you're standoffish, If you don't make an effort, how can you be loved? Well, how can you love the other person? Being a self-reliant person will not cut it. So you have to be being nourished and loved and make yourself a part of that group. A few things that bring... A family together are commitment of the family members and spending of time together. So that's how you learn to love each other. Because you get out and you fellowship. You get around and you share your life. Well, I know I don't like this person because he's hard to talk to. Well, I don't like that person because I don't get along with them. I do it different than they do. Well, are you loving them? Well, I can say, yeah, I love them. But do we love them in word or in deed? You have to love in word and deed. It has to go beyond this, yeah, I love you, but don't turn your back on me. Or I love you, and you go and do things God's way. And you go out and you find out the way they live their life. You see someone struggling. Isn't that what uh, Christ said? And I forget exactly. He said, uh, Do you love me? Well, do you go and visit the sick? And you've gone to prison and seen somebody that's suffering in prison. He help the poor. He visit his widow and the fatherless. And they said, When did we see you that way, Christ? He said, If you do it to the least of my brethren, You've done it to me. Do we do that? That is love for Christ by action. No, we can't find Christ in jail. We can't find Christ hungry. We can't find Christ without clothes. But we can find our family, our little group, and then extend it on out beyond that. And do we then strive with our heart to bring love to other people. If we do, our actions say we love Christ, we love the Father, and we love each other. So it has to be more than just a word out of your mouth. It has to be, as James said, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Abraham showed his faith by his works. Joseph showed his love by his works. So, the third thing then I want to get to is support each other. Sometimes we have difficulties, don't we? We struggle. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's sick. Maybe it's around the house work. Maybe it's, it could be anything. But do we support each other? We're asked to pray for a lady. Do we support Tim Moore with our not with our prayers? Are we supporting him and sharing our love and saying, "Father, you're all powerful. There's nothing that you can't do, and because we love you and want to do your way, hear our prayers." Sometimes we have problems. Do we help each other solve that problem? It could be an easy problem. It could be a great problem. You know? Do we sh- do we help each other solve the problems? In Amos three, we're told how can you be a family and walk together if you don't agree with each other? And how can you agree with each other if you don't know each other? So it goes back to the one before. Loving each other. If you're going to help each other with a problem, you have to agree. You have to strive to do it a godly way. So do we walk together, or do we walk separately? I think there's a poem about footsteps on the beach. Are they just yours? Just Christ? Or are you walking with Christ, hand in hand? Is your brother, you know, I think it's the big brothers, show the boy carrying the other child, he said, is he heavy? No, he's not heavy. He's my brother. He's my brother. Well, he couldn't be a brother if he didn't love him. He helped him solve the problem that he had. Do we solve each other, to help each other to solve the problems? Are we ready to confide in each other? I've got a problem. Can you help me with it? If we don't walk together, then we don't agree. If we walk together, we have to agree to work, it, work things out. James 5.19 Here was a person that had a problem Here in James. And James is saying, well, we have to help him solve that problem. James 5, verse 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from his error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Do we Are we ready to help each other? So you see somebody make a mistake. What do you do? Tell everybody else but them. <laughs> Is that the way we do it? No. James says, if they've made a mistake, you go to them and try to help them solve that mistake. Isn't that Matthew 5.18? says so the same thing. You talk to them. Personally get to know them. Personally show them the problem. Then if they don't agree, then you bring someone else in. And if they don't agree, then you bring it to the whole family. And let the family understand the problem. And maybe you can iron it out and solve the difficulties. But too often, we don't look at it that way. Because we don't know each other enough to love each other. If you really love each other, if we're walking together, hand in hand, difficulties or times when things are great, we have to agree. Is that the way we respond? Well, sometimes we need to think about the way we live our life. And Psalms 119.165 tells us, Great peace have they that love God's law. How much do we love the laws of God? The first four tell us how to love the Father. To love our husband, Christ. The second six tell us how to love each other. Do we really love those laws that much that we're willing to, to go 100% out to help the other person? That's what we have to do. If we're going to support each other, we have to support each other. We have to take the effort Oh, I don't want to help that person. You know, they might be offended if I help them. Maybe they won't. How do you know? Do we walk together? Are we supporting each other? An important area of our life that we have to work on. Supporting each other. A fourth value that we need to set is that when there are times, there are small differences, what do we do? Small differences. You know, Paul and, I think Paul and Barnabas had a difference. Instead of fighting about it, they just separated. So that they didn't fight. But they had a difference. One of the things that you might hear say, what we have here is a failure to communicate. So we had a difference between each other. We, what happens is, we're not willing to talk to each other. If we could sit down and talk to each other, we could probably iron out most of the difficulties. Unless you're like some families, that they don't want to solve the difficulties. And so the husband curses the wife. The wife curses the husband, and the children curse the parents, because they don't want to work out the small difficulties. Sometimes we make mountains out of molehills. Sometimes, that really don't mean much, but we let it bother us to that point that it just destroys us. And if we're not careful, we destroy others too. It's communication. You have small differences, work them out through communication. Um, Gordon gave us two sermons, I believe, on how to communicate one with another. Maybe we need to go back and read those sermons or listen to those sermons. How do we communicate with each other? Sometimes it's difficult. We don't smile. Or, I know I have a big problem this way. I mean, I try to communicate. I said something to one person that, uh, they were doing something, and I was, in my way, trying to show them the right way to do it. But it, that's the way it comes out sometimes. And so, you know, two weeks ago, Daryl brought a sermon, and I went home just whipped because I could see, Hey, he's talking about me. A lot of things i got to change. I, mean, I didn't realize that I was that way. And I talked to another person, and they said, You jump my case all the time. But... I don't mean to do that. It's just the way I was brought up. My background. I really don't... I'd like to be the one that's... Uh, I think my wife had a show on one time that there was this guy that was the clown in high school, was the clown of the, of the senior class. Even to the point where he somehow got the principal's pants off and hung them on the, on the flagpole. And later in life, he was a preacher. And he had this knack of being able to come up to the people and point out problems in such a way that he didn't chew them out. He didn't put them down, but he was able to show them, if you did it this way, it would work out a whole lot better. But I, don't, I just haven't been able to do that yet. So I go out there and say, if you do it this way, it would work better. So it comes out harsh. It's not the way I really feel inside. I want to help. But I haven't learned how to change it and talk that way. So, so it's, sometimes it's hard to uh, express yourself. So a communication problem is a problem. I think in my marriage with my wife and I, one of the things that keeps us cohesive is we spend a lot of time talking to each other. And I don't just put her down, everything she says, because most of the time she has more to say than I do. and It's more valuable than what I say. So I'm ready to listen. <laughs> like they say, I'm the boss of my family. Well, my wife's in town someplace. <laughs> but we have a very good line of communication. And that, that's very important in a family. If you don't communicate father, and mother, and children. Then you have a a dysfunctional family or unfunctional family. And we have too many of them around today where, I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to tell you, like it or not. But this man that was the the class clown, became a preacher, was able to say the same thing in such a way that you're sitting there saying, okay, you know, it's like that sermon Daryl brought out two weeks ago. He said it in such a way that I know you didn't think he was talking to me, but I did. I tried to hide under the table. That has been too obvious. So. <laughs> but God does talk to us through his servants, like it or not. And he put people to do that. He selects them. And so it's it's a point that we need to learn communication skills. They are desperate. Families don't have them in the world. Our little family here needs to have that. That is important. To have a communication line, one with another. It has to be that way. And maybe I do something different than you do. Am I willing to listen to you? And are you willing to listen to me? And maybe, like my wife said, there's more than one way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There's one, more than one way to dig a ditch. I'd assume dig a ditch using the backhoe or the trencher. Somebody else might think it's better to dig a ditch with a shovel. Well, that's fine. You both get the ditch dug. But if we could just communicate and show and, and be willing to listen... Be willing to listen, because that's one of the, probably the hardest skills to learn is to be a listener. It's awful easy to talk. It's awful easy to show your way, but it's very difficult to sit back and listen to someone else. So, communication skills I have down is a big problem. Okay. Are we willing to work out our differences? Are you flexible enough? Are you flexible enough in your way of life to listen to someone else? To change the way you do things? Sometimes we're just not, we're so set in our ways that we are not going to change. As the proverbial way goes, come hell or high water. I'm not going to change. I'm right. No matter what you say, I'm right. No, you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to see the other person's idea if you're going to solve a problem. If you're going to have a cohesive family. If you're going to achieve family values, and that's one of them. Being flexible and not so rigid in your way that you will not turn. A lack of communication will literally rip a family apart. I've seen it in my families, on my children. I've seen it in the church. Don't let it happen here. If we can't communicate, it will virtually rip and tear this group apart too, like it has all the others. We have to be willing to be flexible and change. We have to be willing to live in unity, as Psalms 133, verse 1 says. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How fantastic that is, to live and dwell together in unity. Do we... Have that desire? Are we ready to do that? Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those people who seek to bring peace. When you bring peace, you're living in unity. And how good is that? Isn't that fantastic to be able to live in unity and in peace? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the children of God. Are we God's children? Are we striving to do those things? And the last goal or value I set is an attitude of submission. Are we ready to submit to God? Have we we decided in our mind, have we set the goals that we're going to submit to God's way? In the family, the children must submit to the parents. Not as they do in this world. It's a sad state of affairs. I can remember as a kid, we submitted to our parents. Oh yeah, if we didn't, what would happen? Our dad would probably get out the strap... Or he would uh, get out the board, and you'd say, yes, sir. Now, I've had one that my wife tried to get in submission, and they rebelled. But after about an hour, they submitted. <laughs> it was hard road to haul. What does God do to us? What did He do to Egypt? Uh, to Israel? rather. He made them go through a lot of things until they finally said, okay, we will submit. Well, at least for a little while. It didn't take them long until they went back the wrong way. Are you ready to submit? God put us a leader. He gave Herbert Armstrong as a leader. And for the 60s, when I was in there, for the most part, we submitted. We listened. We followed. We tried to do it God's way. But we went to sleep. And we began to do as society does today. We didn't submit to God through the direction He gave. Today, we have another opportunity. Are we ready to submit? Or are we going to find something else to do? Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit yourselves one to another In the fear of God. Well, he's talking about submitting to those that have a position to lead us. And husband and wife must learn inside the family. They have to have a shared communication line in submitting. You can't be like some of the families. I'm the total rule. That coming from the wife. And the husband will follow my directions. Well, somewhere down the line, it's going to break apart. Or the husband say, I'm the total authority. We went that route in uh, the Church of God back in the early 70s, 60s and 70s. The man was the head of the family and you women will submit or else. Well, that doesn't bring cohesiveness in the family, does it? It causes the family to break apart. But we have to learn to be submissive and change. Verse 30, Ephesians 5, verse 30. For we are members of his body. We're not members of their own body, my body. We are members of Christ's body, of Christ's flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they too will be one flesh. Again, it's important to realize that. We have to submit to God for every word that he tells us. Christ gave his life for you. He gave his life for this world. John 3 16 and 17 says God so loved this world he had so much love for this world that he allowed his partner to become his son to give up eternity to give up creative abilities to walk this earth that's the kind of love that God has for you And the world. He even said he would that none of Israel be lost. All Israel be saved. 17 says, I didn't send Christ, Emmanuel, to this earth to condemn it. Didn't have to do that. We already know. The flood at Noah's time? Did he send Christ there? No. He just wiped out the whole... Shooting match. Except for eight people. And he saved eight people because of one man who had submitted to him who had the right family values. So God didn't have to send Christ to condemn the world. He'd already done that. He already condemned them in Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't have to send him to do that. He could do that any time. But he sent them that all humanity might become part of his family. Well, we know when Christ returns, he will be the husband. Those that have followed and submitted and are doing things his way will become the bride. and know that to be 144,000. After that, becomes comes the children. So those that are physical, who live through the Holocaust and something much greater than has ever hit this earth before. Those that live through that will become the first children. And then Satan comes back, he gets his chance to to do with those people. Satan's finally done away with. It. Finally put away. You know, Day of Atonement. Satan put away. Then the Feast of Tabernacles in the last great day. And what happens in the last great day? Uh, Was it uh, Ezekiel 30? Something uh, says the bone, the valley of dry bones, and all these bones come back to life, and they will get a chance to learn how to live God's way, how to be a successful family. Today, there is no true successful family. We all have our difficulties, and whether it be a church family, the national families, or individual families, we still have our difficulties that we need to work out. And I think if we'll go back and start trying to achieve those values that achieve a family, sharing our goals with each other, sharing our goals With God, the goal that God has—that's the ultimate God goals: loving each other, not having any hesitations in our love for each other, supporting each other when they have a difficulty now or then, support each other, and work out the small differences. Because most of the differences that we have with each other are small. We make mountains out of them, but they're truly not really big. When you consider life is only 70 or 80 years, some cases maybe get to 100. And for some of us who are already at that point, we're living on borrowed time. So if we're only living on borrowed time, we better start getting it right, don't you think? We better get the right values. So let's work at it. We're a church family, an extended church family. Only one part of what God is doing. We're not the church of God. We're only a small family in the church of God. So we don't want to go out there and destroy others. We want to help each other. So let's work, look at those goals, ask yourself, how many of these goals do I fall short on? Can I change? I hope so.